Welcome back to Coaches on the Beach, and today Dylan Huff joins us from Jacksonville, Florida. Dylan is the head coach at Jacksonville University and has been with the Dolphins in his current role since 2020. Dylan also served as a volunteer coach for JU back in 2016-2017. During his time away from Jacksonville, he served as the coach for Dave Palm in the AVP, as well as the director for Powers VBC. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Thanks, man. That was a good intro. I appreciate you guys having me. It's been a lot of fun seeing all your episodes. I'm glad I could be a part of it. Thanks for, thanks for hopping on. Dylan, uh, a legendary coach down there at JU. Um, yeah, something like been, that. <laughs> you've been at Jacksonville for the better part of was it like eight years now? Um, it feels like it. Feels like it. Talk to us a bit about how you got started there, and then how it came to be beach only, and and taking that program over. Yeah, for sure. So, I guess it started. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life. I was just working club circuit and doing all that indoor slash a little bit of beach stuff. And like 2012 and 2015, 2016, not, I don't know if you guys remember, but not too big in the beach club scene back in those days. So mostly indoor. I hated it. I, I still really have not a good taste in my mouth from pushing indoor club uh, for many, many reasons. That's be a whole episode in itself. But trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, one weekend, I drove up to Siesta Key from Naples and went to a Fiesta on Siesta. I don't know if you remember that tournament. Biggest tournament in the country. There was tons of teams that used to play there. There was like team versus team. There was a Paris tournament, I believe, as well. And I just was like, this is so cool. Like, I, I want to see if I can get into the college game. Um, so I started looking into places to where I could potentially move. And Tampa was on that list. Um, Jacksonville was on the list because my sister and her family lives up here. Um, and so I just started reaching out to schools. I emailed Steve over at UNF at the time. Steve Loswick was the head coach. And they had Emily Strack at the time. I had no idea that that was going on. And so Steve never responded to any of my emails. Uh, and then I emailed Julie Doherty over at JU, and she responded to my email like within a few hours and wanted to set up a little phone interview with me. Um, and so I had a good meeting with her and drove up to see the school and kind of did my own little recruiting visit and I fell in love with the campus and everything that came with it and so I moved up to Jacksonville in 2016 and was fortunate enough to be the volunteer assistant there for a year uh, again like just I, I loved I loved it I was working for free so I had another job that I was paying on my bills and I would like leave work early to go to practice and I, I think I was in the red that year when I was the volunteer there. Um, but I just, I fell in love with it. I loved everything that came with it. And I, I knew that I wanted to do this at some point, um, like for just for a living and try to find a way to make money and kind of live life while doing this. Um, I don't really remember the question that you asked me, but <laughs> it's a little tangent there. Uh, but I think that might, might have answered your question. Um, I was a volunteer and I just, I fell in love with Jacksonville. Like everything about the city's cool. Uh, like I said, I moved there in 2016. That was 2017 was the year the Jags were good. So it was like, cool, there's an NFL team here that's also really good. Uh, and then, so it was just it's a cool city. It's a cool place to be. I've been here for, I guess, seven years, if my math, if my math is correct. Um, 
And, you know, I just, I fell in love with everything that has to do with Jacksonville. The beach is awesome. There's tons of stuff to do. We've got a basketball team. Uh, just kidding. We don't have a basketball team. There's a minor league baseball team, hockey team, NFL team. Like, there's so much stuff to do here. And, uh, it's, and I have family in town. So it was like the perfect situation for me to be in. And I fell in love with it. So I don't remember you... what you asked me, but <laughs> so that's how you got there the first time, right? And then how did you move yes. into full time beach role and, and taking the program and turning it over? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good reminder. Uh, so COVID ha- happens, and that twenty twenty season was not a thing anymore. And uh, I was working as an indoor club coach at the time, so that obviously didn't wasn't happening anymore either. So just kind of doing nothing, sitting at the house, working out, trying to figure out like what what's next. Um, and then I like came to a realization that the kids who were freshmen, my volunteer year there in 2017, were getting that senior year back and they had an extra year in 2020, 2021. And I was like, man, there's been some, some turnover in the coaching staff and like not so good stuff happening at Jacksonville. I want to go back for this one extra year. I'll be the volunteer again. And just like do whatever I can do my part to make sure that those kids have like a, a solid senior year and, and leave with a good memory of Jacksonville. And I started to volunteer there. I went back and I think I was there for three practices and something happens with the guy who was coaching the program at the time, uh, with I don't know, there were some NCAA violations or whatever, but he got he got let go and I was there for three weeks and they were like, Hey, you want the job? And I said sure i'd love to do it and i just was very lucky in my timing i was just good time good place for me to be and they hired me as the assistant coach and the indoor coach was still technically the head but uh, if you remember the 2021 indoor season at all that was when it got moved to the spring so she was the head coach of both programs on paper but was obviously a little preoccupied with indoor that spring so i was part-time assistant coach doing essentially everything uh and then they just they elevated me to the title of head coach after that season and this is now going into my fourth consecutive so fifth fifth year there total if you count that volunteer year yeah and you are uh you were i guess i I unseated you were the youngest head coach in ncaa volleyball uh you know talk about taking that roll on right in the sport also at your program and then taking this group of there were a lot of crossover athletes right your first year right and now you guys are beach only i think roster wise yeah well technically there were zero crossovers my first year because that was when everybody was playing in the spring that's Um, right there were six girls or whatever (laughs) yeah we started with 10 two of them got covid so i had eight for about half the season um and if you know anything about the college beach volleyball game, you need 10 to have a lineup. So I started in a lot of duels down 0-1. Very, very difficult to win with that format. Um, yeah, dude, I, I honestly, I, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I was a volunteer that one year. And if you guys have ever been a volunteer or had a volunteer, uh, the responsibility is not much. We just, I was, when I was a volunteer, I showed up to practice, I showed up to games. And I just did the volleyball stuff, which was a lot of fun. And they kind of just threw me into this role and said, here you go, have fun. Um, make the most of it, see what you can do. And I didn't know anything 
outside of the volleyball stuff. So I, I really had no expectations going in. I didn't know what I was really getting myself into. Um, luckily, I had I was a club director for the beach side at the club I was working at a little bit. So I had a little bit of uh, history in like ordering gear and doing some of that stuff. But like really like the admin stuff, I really had no idea what I was doing. And it was a nightmare that first year. I didn't get my P card until two days before our first road trip in the spring of 2021. And they just, I, I didn't know how to do like expense reports, nothing. They just gave me a card and they said, here you go. So uh, it was much just learning on the fly and trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. Um, and then, yeah, so my volunteer year, going back to your original question, was there were six beach only kids and the rest of the roster, there's like 10 indoor kids, right? So that's how the sport was at the time. And, and so the idea when JU hired me was they're like, all right, we're going to separate the two programs, make you like you'd be the first full-time head beach coach. And we want you to build this into a sustainable thing where you have your rosters, mainly beach kids, if not all. And then we'll have like a few indoor kids sprinkled in if you need to. And so my first year there, they asked me to take the roster from eight to 16 and two girls graduate. So that leaves me with six to get to 16 uh and if my math is math thing that means i had to recruit 10 that first year um having never recruited a kid before in my entire life they said go find 10 of them oh also it's uh covid so it's a dead period forever you can't visit there's no one can come you can't meet anybody in person but here go go recruit 10 kids uh so that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed that uh spent a lot of time doing zoom calls facetimes just talking with the kids on the phone um so that was a lot of fun um and i somehow i found 10 kids that wanted to come play for me that year uh and i just sold them the idea that we're growing this thing and you get to come live in florida we've got a really sweet facility here and we'll just we'll see what happens and i was lucky enough to get 10 kids exactly 10 kids to come play for me the following year and now we have a full beach roster and i still have some indoor crossovers that are awesome but the roster is a majority beach kids, um, which is really cool to see for this program, especially. Uh, and it's it's been a ride. It's been interesting. It's been a lot of learning and kind of just figuring it out. But figuring out is what this beach game is all about. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember that first year, uh, twenty or I guess not first year, but twenty twenty one, we were supposed to play you guys opening weekend when I was at Coastal. And yeah, you guys had COVID kids. Yeah, we wound up losing like seven <laughs> of our starting lineup to COVID that week. So we canceled. We moved it to later in the semester. And then I think at that event, you wound up having – that was when a couple of indoor kids joined late. So Hannah Edelman yeah. yep. and Avery Perosa. Right? And, and I had been classmates with Hannah at, at South Carolina, and she like walks out of nowhere to go to the practice <laughs> the match before – and I look over at Steve and I go, oh, we have a different scouting report than I thought we were going to for this team. Um, she had been a baller for us at the Gamecocks. But that had to be incredible, like trying to, who am I going to have this week? What's going to happen? What kind of lineup? What's going to be a legal lineup? Like all that stuff. Yeah, dude, it was wild. So that first, the first weekend we had 10 because I had exactly 10 on the roster. And then after the first weekend, um, two kids tested positive for COVID. And so I had I – had, I had seven because one of them was contact trace because she was playing with one of the kids who tested positive. I don't know how 
the fourth kid getting their contact trace because the two kids who tested positive were playing. They weren't playing together. So they were playing with two separate kids. Only one of those kids, for whatever reason, got a contact trace. I don't ask me how, but uh, so I had seven, and we were supposed to go play at UT in Tampa that weekend or the following weekend. And I was like, I met with the team, and I was like, listen, we've got seven kids. That's three pairs. I'm not going to travel and drive a van for us to play these four schools and start down to zero. Like it doesn't make sense. And then the one kid who was contact traced was like, yeah, but my last test to get cleared from the protocol is on Thursday. We're supposed to leave on Friday. If I get cleared, you'll have eight and we can play with four pairs. And all eight of them are like, we want to go. We don't care. We want to go. We want to play. And so she got cleared had to practice in two weeks and we drove to tampa we didn't win anything um i had my two blockers from the fours and fives were now playing together in the fours uh keep in mind these kids had also never played beach before this year they were like indoor kids who one of them got recruited to play indoor beat at ju and stopped playing indoor after a freshman year so she just was going to play beach only and she'd never played before another kid was recruited to play beach who had only played indoor so they had been playing beach for like a month or something and they're playing together in the fours and they're going to hate if they listen to this that i'm saying this out loud but they played together in the fours and their first game was like against fgc or something and fgc was good obviously and i think we lost 21 to 2 one set um i was on a different court and I was going to wait until the tech to go switch courts. And by the time the tech happened on this court, the game was over. And so that's how our season went that first year that I was there. <laughs> until I think indoor ended. Colin, were you doing, I guess you weren't doing indoor because they were going at the same time. You were doing beach. Um, but indoor well, ended on Sunbelt late played. March, maybe? Sun, Sunbelt played in the fall because they – like they were one of the five conferences that didn't care about their gotcha. over COVID. But I, I feel like it had to be, it had to be late March because like I said, we, when we showed up for the later, it might've been Hannah's first match. Perfect. <laughs> so they came out, these indoor kids came out. I had four of them. And so my roster was at 12, which is beautiful. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to play a six pair. And so Hannah, Avery, Madison, and Abby. Abby got hurt the first week, so I think I was down to like 11 maybe. But like they had no practice. So it was like or we had three practices, and then we had to play matches. And just I don't know. I don't know how they even like decided to do this. Like props to them for coming out and doing it. Um, but we still didn't win anything because those kids hadn't practiced anything in the last spring. But it was nice to have five pairs. Uh, we ended up, I think after we played you guys, we traveled, we drove down to PBA and we played them and it was like 98 degrees outside and these indoor girls who had no, like they didn't have sand conditioning at all. And I had Madison, who's my grad assistant now, she was playing in the fives and they, it went to three and it's like hundred degrees outside. It's 2 PM and she's like throwing up during a timeout. She just dying exhausted has had four beach practices and is now playing her second match of the day it's in three 
we ended up going out 5-0 and lost just because she couldn't move by the end of it. <laughs> and then we went to the conference tournament and we lost two matches there and that was the season. We won our first two matches of the season and we ended up losing like 21 in a row to finish it. Um, so it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so much fun. A lot of learning that year, just trial by fire, just hey, go, go do all this stuff and figure it out. But here we are four years later so did you have any expectations like you were a volunteer there and then coming back you were going to volunteer again and then you get thrown into this head coaching role like when they came up to you and was like hey you want to be the head coach did you have expectations of what that season would look like or what the future of JU would look like in your hands no I had no idea dude I knew two kids that like I said two kids that were there when I was volunteering were still there and I love those two kids. And so I really just, I went back for those two kids and I met a bunch of other kids on the way. But no, I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea what it was going to look like. I, like I said, I was expecting to be the volunteer and just show up for practice and be just like a cheerleader essentially. And, um, but yeah, they, I mean, they said, you want this. And I was like, obviously I want this. This is like my dream job. This is what I wanted for since the year I volunteered, like, this is what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I'll gladly take it. And I don't know, like, I'll, I'll figure it out in the way. We'll, we'll figure this thing out together. And the kids kind of knew that too. Like, they were just like, what's happening? And I said, your guess is as good as mine. Like, you guys know more about this stuff than I do. You've been here longer than me. Um, so, no, I really had no expectations. I didn't know what was going on. We just, I didn't know how to book, ho like, hotels or vans. Like, luckily... The indoor staff was extremely helpful. Maggie and Jordan did a great job that first year. I didn't have an office, but my desk was like in a common space outside their office. So I'd just be knocking on their door every day. Like, what kind of hotel should I book? Like, where do I get rental cars? Like, how do I, I don't know. I just, I asked so many questions. I literally had no idea what was going on. And so it's cool now to look back at it. Now that I kind of have an idea of what I'm doing. But like that year, it was just, I cried and I didn't know what was happening and the kids cried because they didn't know what was happening. And now we're in a better spot. But like that year was just, it all seems like a blur. We had the COVID test like every four days. I just everything about that season was not what a season should look like for anybody. But like a little bit of adversity never hurt anybody like you get stronger through having those kind of things and those experiences and so the kids who were freshmen that year are now seniors and i think if you ask them if they could trade that for some other experience they would say no just because like they figured it out and they learned how to kind of deal with adverse situations and like if they could go through that they can go through anything now so uh, i think it was good for them it was good for me and like I said, I, I don't think I would trade that experience, and I think the girls would agree. Um, it's just we learned a lot that year, and, and I think that's kind of what we needed at the time. Just because you seem like such a, a volley, uh, you have a great volleyball memory, right? Self-proclaimed volley nerd. Uh, one of my favorite matches from that year, and I'd love to hear your perspective as the guy in it. We played, so before we came down to you, we played you at Charleston. I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. And Dylan Huff, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, <laughs> one of two coaches in NCAA beach volleyball history 
to have tied because yeah, of, I won that I won that game, but the NCAA doesn't agree with that. What what did you guys decide as the tiebreaker? So who was the coach at Charlotte? It wasn't Damien, it was the guy who did both at the time, I think. What was his name? Kepner. Jason Kepner. No, it wasn't Jason. They had another guy there because Jason was doing indoor. It was their assistant. Uh he was a big beach guy too. I don't remember his name though. He's not there anymore. Interesting. Because I, I anyway, was that Shane's first year or was she not there yet? No, she wasn't there either. It was a guy. He was super cool. Um, I, don't, I don't remember his I'll name. I'll think of it later. Yeah. So, gosh, that was an interesting – it was so interesting how that happened. So, I guess a few of the girls from Charleston had gone out the night before we played them. So, we played on, like, a Saturday, Sunday. I guess Saturday night they did whatever. I don't know. But I get there in the morning, and we're supposed to play them at, like, 8 a.m. or 10 a.m., and – this mysterious coach man who we don't know who it is. It's uh, oh my he, gosh, it's Jake. It's Jake. It was Jake, Jake Elliott for sure. Yeah, big beach so guy. Jake. Oh my god. It was Jake. Jake came up to me in the morning. He's like, "Listen, we have a, something going on. Like, I guess some of my kids went out. Four of them have been contact traced. I think they only had ten kids as well. Like they were in a very similar situation where we were. And I, I didn't have a five pair, so I only had four. And now he only had." three pairs so we double forfeited the fives and he forfeited the four so we were up one to zero with three pairs to play okay so the fives didn't count because the refs were just like it's the you guys both forfeits a double forfeit it's not going to count and then i had a, a force pair because i had eight kids and he only had six so they they forfeited that one which is the first that happened to us all year and so we were up one zero and my twos and threes lost. So we were down two to one. My one's one. And it was so it was two to two. And me and Jake are like he wanted to he wanted to um like draw a number out of a hat, one, two, or three to see which pair played. And me obviously knowing my ones pair was the only pair that won. I was like, No, let's just let the ones. They're the best pair. Let's let the ones pay one set to fifteen, winner take all. Like, just one sudden death set, and that's for the whole duel. He agreed to it, and we played, and my ones ended up winning, like, 16, 14 or something wild. It was, like, 28 degrees outside or something, if I remember the weekend correctly. And we won. Our whole team was, like, celebrating because we haven't won a game in, like, three months. And uh, so we go home thinking that we win this game, and – because I agreed to it, he agreed to it. The officials that were on site agreed to it. Like, so that's what happened. We won that game, and then I get home and I get a phone call from the NCAA for the referee that was the head referee that was there, and he said, "No, there's there's no protocol for a situation where there's a tie, so the NCAA is just going to mark it as a tie." And so yeah, us and Charleston. Yeah, so I was the youngest head coach in Beach at the time, and I also had a tie on my record that year. So if you go back on the JEDVB website and look up the record for that year, it will say uh, a dash one at the end. But the way I look at it, we won that game. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's – if you, you can get remembered for winning a lot of games, you can get remembered for losing a lot of games. Dylan, you and Jake are going to be the only <laughs> two coaches. If that ever happens again, I would be – 
shocked. Um, and I can tell you personally, watching that match, preparing my team to play, I am like hanging on Steve Loswick's shoulder <laughs> going, gosh, I hope Jacksonville pulls this off because I don't know what would happen here in a 2-2 duel. Um, it'd be the stuff of legend. So I appreciate getting to be a part of it. But that's like as a coach, right? Do you are how are you talking to your team? How are you letting them know, hey, we got to get up and fight for this thing? Like it's the best shot we got in a long time. Really? So I'm gonna cry thinking about it. So it was, oh my gosh, dude. So my senior captain that year, Shayla Beefus. She had a sister who played for us, and her sister Kenzie, unfortunately, tragically passed away like that COVID year. We don't—it was like a blood clot or something, um, just randomly in her sleep. And so this happened, and Shaylee played, and I, strongest human being, strongest kid I've ever met. I don't know how she played for two seasons after that, but it was Kenzie's birthday that day. It was either Kenzie's birthday or it was like the anniversary of the day and what happened. And so she was in my once pair. I didn't need to motivate them at all. They were going to win that game. Um, and they did. And uh, they won that game for Kenzie. And like I, so I didn't have to motivate them at all. They just kind of, they were, they were plenty motivated to, to go win on that day. Um, so that was, a difficult day, but like it was, it was cool to see them pull it out and, and to play as hard as they did that game for like all sorts of common goal. And like even my, my twos and threes and my fours who got a win by default would have played just as hard as my ones did. They were all just in it together and the most cohesive I've ever seen a unit in any day I have ever coached volleyball. Um, I, it was only eight kids, so cohesion was a little bit easier, but. They were just, they were, they played for each other that day and it was really cool to see, but yeah, I didn't really have to motivate them at all that day. Yeah. And you mentioned like you, you've been around the game a lot and you've coached a lot of different kind of athletes. You've coached from the club level all the way up to the pros. And when you, when you're talking about coaching collegiately, what do you see as the difference from the pro game versus the club game coming into that, that middle area of collegiate volleyball? Yeah, so there's a few differences between pro and, and college stuff, but the biggest difference I saw from club to college was just the maturity. Um, the, the girls are so much more mature. They're adults. Like it's you're you're teaching less. Like the skills, they all know how to do all the stuff when they get there. Like they're good enough to do all that stuff. It's more so like. The, the strategy of the game and, and how to prepare and how to think on your own because you're not going to have a coach that frequently on a court, um, which is a lot more fun, if you ask me, to teach that kind of stuff. Um, so that, I think, is the biggest difference between club and college. And obviously, you don't have to deal with parents and all that stuff. Like, they're, they're, they're adults. They can they live on their own and they can do all that stuff by themselves. And... Uh, they can have mature conversations with other adults. Um, so that's the biggest difference between those two. And I think uh, the biggest difference, at least that I've noticed from college to like the ABP level is, I mean, the biggest difference for me is that I don't, I don't know these guys that well, right? Like I, I know Dave well enough. I've coached, not coached, but I've known Dave Palm for 10 plus years and 
I can kind of have pretty good understanding of what he wants from me out of the coach's box and, and what he needs for me to be like a, a positive aspect in my role. But I've been with him for four tournaments and it's been four different partners who most of the time I meet the Friday of our first match. So that part can be a little bit difficult. And I think that's the biggest difference between my job now and like coaching at the ADP level is I see these, these, my student athletes here at Jackson, I see them every day and I'm around them six, seven days a week. And I know how I can be productive for them. I know what they want. I know what coaching style is preferred to each and every one of them. And like, I don't know that with these guys who I, I meet an hour before first match. So it's, it's a little difficult to kind of, figure out like I don't want to overstep my boundaries they're all professionals and most of them coach as well so like they're smart they know what they're doing and like I don't want to come in and just take over and kind of say things that they already know or it's just like they're that's not what they want out of a coach on the box so it's really just trying to figure out how it can be uh like just a positive impact on their match and so that part is a little bit difficult um but it's, it's, it's cool at the same time to get to know these different professional athletes and figure out how they work and what makes them who they are and how they play on the court because everyone's different. Like being with Rafu is so cool. He's so passionate and fiery and he just, he knows, he sees everything. And like at this point in his career, he's not very physical, but he'll just walk to a dig and he'll be there before you hit it. He knows where you're going to hit the ball before you do, which is really cool. And then, like being with Chase Frischman a few weekends ago, like that guy just, he's very free flowing. And like, I don't need to tell him where to go on defense. Like that guy just feels the court and what's going on. And he's from SoCal, so he knows the tendencies of everybody's going to play anyway. So he just kind of feels it out and, and doesn't need much technical feedback. He's just out there feeling his energy and the flow of the game and just being where he thinks he needs to be, which is a different way of thinking about things, which is cool. Um, and like it's just it's cool to see different trains of thought and how each each one of those guys plays a little bit differently and brings a little bit of a different style to the game. But those are the biggest differences that I've noticed over the last couple of years. Um, but like it's it's cool to be there at any level either way. Do Do yeah. you have a match that comes to mind? Uh, for like a favorite match that you've coached in professionally, like for Dave in the AVP or something like that? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. So last year I flew up to Chicago and Dave was playing with Evan Corey and never played together. They were both playing the points game at that point in the season. Like they just, they needed to play with a guy who had enough points to be in the main draw. I think we got in as like the nine or 10 seed and we're playing on... It's the last match of Saturday to get into Sunday, and they're playing against uh, who are they playing against? They're playing against Jake Dietrich and Hagen Smith, and uh, Dave and Evan smoke them in the first set. Like Dave's blocking and everything. Like they're just playing power game. And Dave's just seeing the court blocking balls, Evan digging balls, siding out, being super physical. They lose the second set because Jake and Hagen started shooting the ball more. Evan was a new defender. They just, they weren't digging balls. And so they got, the game kind of got a little bit away from them. And it went to a third set and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's like 14 to 14, Dave cramps. Like his quad cramps and just, I can, I can see it happen. It's like, I think this was 14, 14 or, or 13, 13 going to 14, 13. 
and I think that was it. It was 13-13. Hagen sides out, and Dave jumps the block, and he lands, and I can tell immediately he's cramping because just the way that his, his body language was. And he didn't even, like, he just walked to the box. He didn't go, like, signal for a timeout. He just walked to the box, sat down, laid down. It's like riding in pain. Took the medical, took our timeout. So we spent six minutes trying to get Dave not cramping. The trainer's over there. We're putting electrolytes in his body, all that stuff, trying to figure it out. And he, dude, I, he was like screaming on the ground. And you'll have to ask him about this when he's on to this specific match. And he gets up and he goes, he's like, I'm fine, whatever, I'll go play. Because this is the game to get to Sunday. Like you're playing for, like to get into the fifth place, the quarterfinal match. And he gets out there. They, they serve Evan, first of all, for whatever reason. He sides out. And they're split blocking at this point. Dave is serving. Evan is blocking. I'm telling Evan, I say, hey, just like make a late move. If you're going to stay and block, make a super late move. Or like most likely they're going to shoot. So fake block, like pull late and just try to read it and just go pick it up and just take 90% of the court. And this game ends up going to like 23-21 or 25-23. They play like an extra 25 points while Dave was hobbling around on one leg. And they lost, but it was like the most superhuman thing I've ever seen a human being do from cramping for six full minutes during a medical timeout to get up and go play 25, like a full set of volleyball afterwards. And to be siding out and to like stand up there and block. And it was just a lot of fun to be a part of that. Um, and then I think my second favorite was last year we played in Hickory Point, just outside of Orlando. And Dave was playing with Rafu. And they went like undefeated through the winner's bracket. And we had to play against Phil and Taylor Crab in the semis on Sunday. Um, difficult match to put yourself in but on center court like stadium court against phil and taylor crab probably the two best american players at the time before the model game came out and first set was like 21 18 uh they played really well and second set was like 15 or something but just cool to be like around phil uh and just see the the level that him and taylor were playing at was was pretty cool you uh, you seem to have a great ability to really get to know the people that you're coaching and and understand them as human beings. Um, as a coach, right? What are hard conversations like? What kind of stops you or pushes you through in what most people would deem an uncomfortable conversational situation? Yeah, I hate those conversations, but I mean it's necessary. Last year we had twenty on the roster. So there was a lot of girls who weren't playing and a lot of girls who wanted to know why they weren't playing. And so it's just like you do all that extra work in the fall and in the preseason. And hopefully you get to a point where you have a relationship with the student athlete to where tough conversations aren't as tough as they would be if you didn't know them that well. And like they know who I am. They understand where I'm coming from. They know that I'm not doing it maliciously or like out to get them or whatever. So a lot of that just kind of stems from building those relationships early and getting to know them as much as you can throughout your, your off season over the summer and the preseason 
Um, so we do we do a lot of just individual meetings, and like I love to just I'll go to Starbucks and try to catch up with kids as much as I can, and just kind of pick their brain about stuff, not volleyball related, but just to get to know them, ask how their family's doing, get to know mom and dad and their siblings and, and all that stuff. And then when it's time to have this conversation, like they can trust me and I can trust them and this makes it a little bit easier to communicate those things. Are you drinking coffee every time? Because I can imagine that's a lot of caffeine going through the system. Yeah, 100%. Starbucks on campus is where I spend all of my money, my entire salary. Uh, especially when we have we have lift at six in the morning and practice at like four in the afternoon. I'll be on campus for a thirteen hour day, and every single time we have one of those days, I'll be at Starbucks somewhere in the middle. And uh, yeah, I spend it's and it's like an on campus Starbucks, so you can't use points or anything, which is the worst. But I still spend my money there. It's tough, but we we just they they built a Wawa that's like two miles from campus now, so. On my way into school, I can stop at Wawa. They actually take my rewards and my points. So Wawa's been clutch. Um, I also signed up for that Panera drink thing where it's like $12 a month and you get unlimited drinks at Panera. So there's a Panera on my way to school. So really just pick your pick your poison for that day. If you want to stop at Panera, you want to stop at Wawa, or if you need to go to Starbucks, there's a Starbucks there. So there's plenty of options. Yeah, you're you're the man about town. I, now that you have a Wawa, we might need to get y'all on the schedule. Uh, we might need to be coming to JU next year, uh, just so I can get a, a little Wawa stop in for myself personally. Yeah, we've got some some things up our sleeve for this next year, so we'll have to you'll have to stay, have to keep you in the loop with what's happening with our campus. And it's not I don't know if it's public information yet, but there's some stuff that we're working on that's going to make campus a little bit cooler here in the next year or so. Dang, and you so guys we'll definitely have you down. Yeah, you guys already have the sick, like, the patio. Just wait. Just wait. Uh, outside of the fire ants, we got to talk about that. The I spend so much of our budget on ant killer. You don't know. Like, every day before practice, I'll go out and sprinkle ant killer. Um, so, trust me, I know. I know it's a problem, but I live in Florida. I, there's not much I can do about it. I can control it the best that I can. But some of, some of the ants are going to slip through the cracks and – I'll do my best to put your team set up in an area where there's not a lot of ants, but I can't make any promises. Are you guys getting like a live dolphin exhibit on campus? I'm not telling you. It's a secret. Well, there's already <laughs> live dolphins. If you go to the river any point during the day, you'll find you'll find some dolphins. I see them all the time. Dude, JU's getting, getting all the perks out here, so there's something cool to camp. All right, 2025, we'll take a ULM, SLU trip out to JU. I'm in. Yeah, we'll do one. We'll do one in the fall too, so you can come down and come to a Jags game. Oh, it's sold. Yeah, you have tickets, right? You're a season tickets Jags fan. I am a season ticket holder. Yep. What's uh? Yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl. Twenty and zero. Best and worst moments as a Jags fan. Okay. Well, worst. There's a lot to pick from. Um, <laughs> I think. Do you mean like in person at a game, or just as 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 being a Jags fan? Just as a Jags fan, man. Well, the, the entirety of the Urban Meyer experiment, besides from drafting of Trevor Lawrence, I think was pretty difficult. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason that led us to get Doug Peterson. So if I had to do it again, I don't know if I would, but I would just hope that they would hire Doug P a little bit earlier. Um, the Urban Meyer thing was not good. 
And my best experience, oh my gosh, last year, that playoff game, we were down 27 nothing. Like, it doesn't seem, it still doesn't seem real that that happens. We were there and it was like 40 degrees. It was really cold. And Trevor threw four picks in the first half. And I, I don't know. We were down 27 nothing. They came back and won. And it just, it was unreal. And like, I'll look at highlights now and I'll be like, how did that happen? Like, that, is that real life? Like, doesn't seem like that really happened. Like I don't understand how that makes any sense. They scored on six drives in a row or something to come back and win. It was pretty crazy. But I don't know if that I don't know if that memory can ever be topped. That was pretty cool. Unless like we won a Super Bowl at the new stadium that they build in a couple of years. Like that that might top it, but anything short of that is gonna be pretty difficult. Yeah. Did you consider leaving early at any point during that game? Never. Never. Do well till we die, man. You don't, don't leave. You don't leave. Can you explain that to me with the it's got like all the use right it's like a yeah yeah i'm not gonna say it on the podcast but yeah everybody yells duval it's our war chant it's the county that we live in we're, we're proud of it it's the most intimidating chance in all of professional football and so like when anything cool happens when people come and do concerts in town like they'll say what's up jacksonville and everybody will yell duval like back at them and it's just a thing to do around town and you just if one person yells it, like I feel like you're obligated to yell about it. It's just how we work it down here. Gotcha. It's like the Jeep wave. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, so you mentioned there there are some exciting things coming to Ju's campus. What about uh, for the beach team in particular? Through your eyes, what what does the future look like for you guys? The future is bright, man. I think if we can if we can just continue on the trajectory that we have been the last couple of years, I think we're in a good spot. Um, thankfully, we, we still have some, some crossover girls. I don't know how you guys work it out over at your places, but um, I still think they could be productive. Uh, we had one in our once pair last year, so if she doesn't play with us at all in the fall, and she'll come out in the spring, and she'll just beat everybody's butt. And she broke the school record for wins in a season and his all-conference with a partner. Um, so we, we have a few new studs on the indoor team that are going to come out as well. And, and we've got some dynamic new players that are beach only. So I think talent-wise, we're in a pretty good spot. Culture-wise, we've got a lot of great, great human beings on our campus and on our team that I'm excited about this season. We've got some cool fall stuff coming up um, to get some, some competition in in the offseason. We'll be going up to Huntsville there in November. Uh, as much as I dislike that drive, we will be making the hike up to Huntsville. Um, so yeah, I think we're in a pretty good spot. It was just I think you guys had Caleb on a couple weeks ago, and like I feel like us and Caleb in North Alabama are kind of trying to do the same thing. I guess it's our conference has been Stetson, North Florida, and FGCU for the history of the conference and I feel like us in North Alabama are trying to kick the door in and make our mark as the next two that are up and ready to, to go compete for a conference championship and so we're just trying to build on that um, and just continue on the trajectory that we have been the past couple of years. That That's awesome. <laughs> Obviously excited to, to see what you guys are able to do. I think we are getting you on the schedule. We play you I think twice next year. You coming to LSU? We're coming to LSU and you're coming to UNF. So we, we got both of you guys in the schedule this year. I think it's the yes, first sir. time I've ever seen JU play ULM. So that, that'll be a first for us, I believe. Yeah. Um, 
I think going yeah, back through the been... record book, we, we've never played you guys. I don't think so. And this is the first time I think JU's ever traveled to LSU, too. So we're excited for that. I've never seen that facility, and I've heard a lot of good things, seen some cool pictures and videos. So we're excited to go play up there. Um, excited to have you down in Jacksonville, even though it's it's at the wrong place. But we'll, we'll take what we can get at this point. Yeah, a little crosstown rivalry with you guys and, and UNF. Um, yeah, something like somebody... I don't know if you can call it a rivalry if one side keeps winning all the games, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah, didn't you just tell us you're going to change that up, right? You're changing we the are, – We so. are. We we've been, we've been two, three with them a bunch of times the last two years. So we're not going to let the world win this year. We, we, we kick it open, but TBD, we'll, we'll see you in the spring. Yeah. As somebody that's that's been through a lot, right, you've – You've seen every iteration of the game. You've managed to find yourself in a thousand different experiences. And now you you finally gotten the monkey off your back of being the youngest uh, NCAA beach coach. So from your experience, right, what are some things that you would like to pass on to the next generation of coaches to hopefully uh, maybe save them some of the hardships that you've gone through? Yeah, well, I think the first step would be don't get a job uh, – when there's a global pandemic, I think that's <laughs> step number one. Um, like, don't have that be your first. Like, if you're already there and that happens, that's cool. But I wouldn't start at that point. Uh, maybe wait a year and do it then. But in, in all seriousness, I think I think you have to love it. I think you have to love everything that comes with it. Maybe not everything. I still really don't like the agony work. But you have to love the volleyball part of it enough to make the other stuff worthwhile and you got to be passionate about it. You got to like, you got to really enjoy the human beings you're around. And um, you just, I think you got to be passionate about this. Like I've, I've wanted to do this since that day I saw Fiesta on Siesta in 2016. Like I, I knew that that was what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And like, I, I just, I, I never had a plan B either. I just, I had plan A and I was going for plan A and there was no fallback option. It was just, this is it or else I don't know. I don't know. I never got that far. So you, you have to enjoy it. You gotta be passionate about it and you gotta put your all into it. And I think that's the only way to do it. And you just, you can't give up too. Like I was the volunteer and I went to do other things, but in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a college coach. I wanted to, to have, I wanted, I wanted the job at Jacksonville. Like that was, if I had a dream board, which I don't, but, like if I did in the back of my mind, I had one and like, that was the end goal was to be the, the coach at JU. And that's what I wanted to do. And I just kept grinding. I put my head down and I went to work and I just, the end goal was always to get to this spot. And I just kept chipping away in, until I, I mean, I say, I say I was in the right place at the right time, but I feel like I really prepared myself and I put myself to be in an advantageous position at that certain point in time. And then, I guess I just got lucky with the timing, but everything else was set up in my favor because of the way I played my cards. But you gotta like it. You gotta be passionate, and you, and you have to just put your head down and go to work. Yeah, and we're talking to the man that's gone to work. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's been awesome. You know, uh, I guess Michael's got one question that he likes to he likes to wrap up uh, every podcast with. For sure, I won't, we, I won't stick with that, Michael. I thought about it, but <laughs> we. we we, we've talked a lot about your program and how you plan on changing that in the future. What about from the beach game in the NCAA division? Like, wh where would you like to see the game grow? What do you think we're missing out on? 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I see the difference between our indoor program and our beach program. So like, I think just more accessibility to everybody and whether that's uh, more funding from schools, bigger budgets, more scholarships, like the max is six, I believe. I don't know because we're not at that. So like just have more resources for everybody to go do it and not just like the Texas and the SCs and UCLA's. Like I think if the smaller schools, the mid-majors really go all in on these programs, like they have some other programs, you can get a lot more kids into the game. Like the junior level is so big. There's so it's so big. There's so many kids playing the sport, and it's such a cool sport and environment. And like I, I really think that there's so much potential for this to continue to grow. Like we keep seeing more and more schools adding it. But like I think maybe not to the level of football and basketball, but to the level of indoor, to the level of some of those other sports where there's a lot more funding to it and like a lot more opportunities for kids to get into it. And I think if there were more scholarships available, you'd get some of those kids to stop playing indoor at an earlier age, or you'd get some kids to not be playing basketball or lacrosse or soccer, but they'd come out and the better athletes would be playing beach volleyball instead. And I think that'd be a cool direction for us to go in um, just because of the way the juniors is set up. There's so many tournaments to go play. And like, it's just, it's set up at the, the youth level to where it should be bigger. I guess it's it's pretty big now, but I think there's there's still a lot of room for growth within our sport, and I think it'll get there. It's just the pace. I, I don't know if it's, well, I guess, TBD and, and how the NCAA and, and these certain schools are going to really go all in on, on beach like us coaches have, but uh, I think there's, there's still a lot of potential out there. Thanks so much for hopping on, man. We really appreciate it. Um, like I said, we're looking forward to playing you and seeing you. All over the place. Yeah, dude, but... I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have you down in Jacksonville again. We'll we'll figure something out to get you guys at, at JU next year. Our, our campus, like you, you said, Colin, it's, it's dope. Love to have you guys, Michael, down here to see it in person. Uh, and like I said, we've got some cool things in the works to make it even better. But uh, we'll talk about that when Maritz sends his mass email out sometime in early March, scheduling <laughs> for next year. I do want to note it on a personal note. Uh, I beat Maritz to finishing my spring schedule this year, which having worked for the guy for three years, <laughs> that's a big moment of pride for me. All right, I finished all of my weekends before Moritz had his tournament filled out. I was the proudest moment I've ever had. You finished it, now you gotta, now, now you gotta beat him to that first initial mass email. Oh yeah, that's a good point. All right, I'll work on that. Uh, well, let me see, he sends that out in January, so I should probably get. Probably <laughs> yeah, ready. yeah. When you're when you're when your kids come back from Christmas break, you might start looking at filling that out. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Well, keep you guys. I think keep if you can get it, I think if you can get it to to buy like weekend three, I think it would do. <laughs> so sounds good. We'll keep your eyes peeled <laughs> for my uh for my scheduling email. All right. We'll do. All right, Dylan. Well, thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Appreciate it.